Hi, I'm Pastor Emily, and my pronouns are they, them, theirs. And I'm Pastor Kay, and my pronouns are she, her. And we are Nerds at Church, a queer and feminist podcast diving deep into nerdery and the Bible. We've got deep dives on everything from the Big Bang, glitter, and a whole series on bread, to Paul, transfiguration. Yes, that's about our trans experiences. And a whole series on forgiveness, plus much more. Whether you're a Trekkie or a bookworm, a comics fan or a science nerd, or even a historical costumer or artist, we've got connections for you. And Emily has some thoughts on Lemba's bread. It's amazing, okay? <laughs> if you've ever read a Bible story and thought, this story could use a Muppet, we've got the perfect segment for you too. Nerds at Church releases Monday mornings on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you catch your podcasts. As the ancient Christian said, Pox Phobiscum. listeners and now viewers too if you are on patreon you are listening or watching horror nerds at church ridiculously queer podcast where we take a deep dive into a horror film or a book or book <sighs> yay and we talk about how it connects to queerness religion and theology my name is pace warfield and i am one with the force and I'm Pastor Emily, and I am the Cupid Mouse Droid with Missing Memories. Aw, Mouse 6. Cute. Indeed. Also, our Patreon supporters know this, both the horror nerds and the horror buffs. But for those of you who are just listening, follow us on Patreon at patreon.com slash horrornerdsatchurch for the video of today's episode. It's only $5 to sign up, and you get exclusive access to hours of bonus content, including BooTube episodes about TV shows, movie commentaries, bonus episodes, and more, especially for our upcoming season. That is a super exciting one. For sure. And in the meantime, you get to see our faces, which is a rare occurrence, except for every time we do other things that are live. Yes, we are both non-binary, so we prefer not to be perceived. So look at us leaving our comfort zones for you. That's how much we care about you, Patreon supporters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Give us your money. All five or ten dollars a month of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for... Ten dollars, you get the extra special specials. Right. So anyway, we are doing a mini book season uh, because... As you've been following along on our social media, because I know all of you follow our social media, right? And if you don't... Speaking of which, we have new social media. We do, we do. Well, um, we are now on Blue Sky as well. Uh, mm-hmm. H-N-A-C-P-O-D on Blue Sky. Same as on X slash Twitter. Um, Instagram and Facebook, Coordinators at Church. So follow us there mm-hmm. if you haven't already. But um, if you have... Uh, you will have seen that we are taking a break before releasing our full scope of season six, which of course is on Star Wars and the Alien franchise because of the ongoing uh, Writers Guild of America strike and SAG-AFTRA strike. We thought that it would be best to 
be in solidarity by postponing our season where we talk about movies. But the cool part of that is it gives Emily and I a rare chance to go into books. So Mm -hmm. um, for our book mini season, we're going to be doing a few um, books, about one, maybe two a month. Um, But you do not have to have read the books to follow along. We won't reveal major spoilers without warning. Um, So listen instead for some flavor of the books, some of the lore in them, and what kind of treasures await you if you pick up the book yourself from your local bookshop or library. Mm -hmm. And it's especially for the ones that we're doing from a certain point of view. Um, there are a bunch of short stories so by a bunch of different authors and so you get even if we tell you the basic plot or our one sentence summaries mm-hmm. you there's still so much goodness in the actual yes. stories themselves yeah our first so this month we're doing a collection of short stories next month as well for october we're doing a collection of short stories too i'll tell you more about that at the end um and it's this collection of horror short stories next month so we're still kind of keeping it on brand with some Star Wars for our upcoming Star Wars season, but also some horror for um, our horror nerds out there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, how have you been? This is the first episode that our listeners will have been listening to on our main feed since May, June, somewhere around there. So it's been a while since we've reached your yeah. ear holes. It's true. It's true. Um I'm doing great. I'm here with my pal, Dave. Dave is a leaseholder. Dave helps me do chores because every time I roll and then do a chore or task, I get to shoot an arrow into one of Dave's eyes. And eventually Dave will be vanquished D&D style by my chores. I love it. I love it. Also, artwork by Stephanie Kaler who has been a guest on this podcast. I love it. I love it. And you can see, if you're viewing, the unofficial mascot of the podcast, Mr. Gandalf, who Mm -hmm. is here uh, sitting with me for a brief moment in time because I bribed him with peanut butter treats. And (laughs) as soon as the peanut butter treats are gone, he will disappear back into wherever he's been. He's he's maybe looking around, ready for the next peanut butter treat or gone. I have a few more for you, buddy. Here you go. Also, we have not yet introduced our Patreon supporters to this, but we will, in future episodes, have, like, mentions of sabbatical sips or Sabbath sips, which is a thing that Brooke and I are doing. Brooke was on our podcast for our Ghostbusters 2016 episode. Um, Brooke and I, it's Susanna, another friend of the podcast's. Um, birthday weekend and we went to a concert as a family and they gave us these like really cool tumblery drinky things uh, for drinks that we got and so Brooke and I made the Susanna Porter. I love it. So if I get a little bit more loopy that is why. They're delightful if you've ever had like a lemon stick or for those of you in the Maryland area or a medicine ball for Starbucks EP. Very nice. I like that. Very nice. Um, I am Just drink- like Susanna. Very much so. Susanna, our super tech genius who has guested on so many episodes of this podcast, I can't even keep count anymore. <laughs> She's tied with Ben Monroe as our most on the episode. 
uh, guest appearances on the episode, which is funny because Emily has yet to be on an episode with Ben Monroe, even though they've been co-hosts for two and a half, three <laughs> seasons now or so. So It's true. It's true. Susanna has also, by the time this comes out, Susanna will have been a Nerds at Church three times, once per... Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Do you think it ties with you or is close to you? But you've been on for you and for Horror Nerds at Church. Yeah, I've been on as a special guest twice. Once for Horror Nerds at Church and then once for me talking about Luther stuff. And then I've guest co-hosted twice. Once to sub for you and once to sub for Emily. So four times total. Oh, yeah. Once for me and once. Once for Emily, once for Kay. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah no you were on twice for horror nerds at church because you and joe were on and then you and i were oh okay for then dreams too. to do dreams oh yeah. right so then cool yeah so I you re- have been on nerds at church more than Susanna, but i think Susanna is this love it love it she just needs to get on her own podcast and then we'll have her on as a guest for the podcast and for love it love it mm-hmm. so um Anyway, otherwise, how are you doing? How I'm good. Doing? I have some stresses related to my day job life right now, uh, but other than that, things are going pretty well. Um, my partner and I are starting the process very early on of looking to buy a house, so that's kind of some exciting news down the road. Our, this is up till March, and Emily and I are recording this in September. So we have a few months, um, but we're hoping to, if we start the process now, we can kind of start looking, maybe find mm-hmm. something. Uh, nice. I've not been watching too much horror, although I started watching the John Wick series, which is a big action movie kind of series starring Keanu Reeves with a lot mm-hmm. of gore, so it could very easily be like a horror movie. So that's fun. Uh, I've been told about it for years, and my co-worker slash um, past guest, Rich Holloway, is a fan of the series, and was telling me about it, so finally gave it a shot, and it's decent, solid action movie, nice score, so. We, so I am done with sabbatical, which is why sabbatical sips are now Sabbath sips, um, but, and so starting the mission exploration stuff, which is growing, um, <laughs> And that's been fun. Um, Susanna and I just watched the entire first season of Interview with a Vampire. Ooh. So we covered Interview with a Vampire with Alex Raby in our vampire season, the movie. But mm-hmm. they are now doing a TV show and Louie is black and it makes an incredible difference. It's more explicit about the gay stuff too, but like, fantastic. It is so good. Um yeah, if you remember back when we recorded that episode, we were talking about it as a forthcoming thing. And then when it finally released, I want to say in January of this year or something on AMC Plus. 2022. Oh, so then it must have been last year. Um, I was I was watching it and just loved it. And I remember talking about it in the podcast a little bit then. But now that's on HBO Max or Max as it's just called, it's available for a wider audience than initially. So definitely check it out if you haven't. So good. Um I really like it. Um, yeah, that's that's the main thing that's been going on, and I've been doing a lot of audiobook stuff. Um, audiobooks, some real books. Next up on my real books, I'm reading the Dreadnought series, but next up on my book list is, from a certain point of view, Empire Strikes Back. 
Right, right. Because that's the next book in our book club. Actually, I will be reading. Well, those are short stories too. Yeah, short story anthologies are used. So mm-hmm. that'll mm-hmm. probably be one of my next books is From a Certain Point of View, The Empire Story. Yeah, yeah. Bye. And Bye. Ju- hot off the presses, uh, the third book in that series was released. So by the time you are listening to this episode, hold on, let me grab it. You too can go out and pick up Return of the Jedi from a certain point of view. Uh, just dropped end of August. So I got my copy earlier this month and I have not started it yet, but you know we're going to cover this one as well. But, um, yeah, I'm excited. It. And for those of you that don't know the audiobooks for all of the from a certain point of views, I'm assuming are fantastic. Yeah, I'll I... talk a little bit about that in behind the scenes, but 100%. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I mean, I love, I am getting much more into audiobooks for fiction. I used to just do audiobooks for nonfiction, but um, getting more into them for even for fiction. I, I don't catch as much as if I have my eyeballs and my earballs, but especially when they're uh, done well, they're just so good. Yeah. And then I can like, they're in the car with me, they're doing chores and dry beholder days, <laughs> all sorts. Love it. Love it. But that brings us into the book we're covering for today, which is From a Certain Point of View. Mm-hmm. The original, the one that started it all, um, came out 2017. So I'll talk a little bit more about this, but this is what the hardcover looks like. And we'll get into this. Uh, we'll, we are reading five stories from that, and we'll tell you what those five stories are we're focusing on in just a moment. Mm-hmm. But uh, as Emily said, all all the stories in here are just so fun, really good. Um, so we will encourage you to get it. Uh, and hopefully the stories we are covering just give you a taste of some of the cool things. In- yeah, because it's it goes, it traces Star Wars A New Hope with stories from other people's perspectives who were just like side characters. So one of the ones we're not covering that I really like as an example is the story of the red droid that malfunctions when Luke and his uncle are trying to buy droids, right? Yeah. That, yeah. that you get a story from that droid's perspective is fantastic. And so there's a lot of those sorts of things where it's like characters that you just glimpse in the movies. And yet, like we know for all characters, have these wonderful, rich backstories. And Yeah. Yeah. The So all three of the books from a certain view, point of view, uh, have 40 stories in them and the 40 stories are designed to go with the theme of 40th anniversary so each book has come out on the 40th anniversary of the film it is based on and as emily said each story is told from a different background or side character of the uh movie so you're getting this like really in-depth fleshed out understanding the story and it's really fun um spoilers for empire strikes back uh from a certain point of view but one of the stories in there right off the bat i'll tell you is a rebel who is overhearing the bickering between han solo and leia and like doing these internal eye rolls over like oh my god why don't they just fuck already come on the romantic tension so so there's stories like that it's just so funny um so yeah yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, so the stories we picked are Master and Apprentice by Claudia Gray, written by Saba Tahir, The Baptist by Andy Okorafor, Andy Okorafor, um, of My Six and Men by Glenn Weldon, and Wills by Tom Engelberger. 
and I'll tell you a little bit about, I mean, I will tell you a little bit about each of the authors. So the first story, Master and Apprentice, is by Claudia Gray. It's told from Qui-Gon Jinn's perspective. And Claudia Gray is the author of several Star Wars books, including Bloodline, Leia, Princess of Alderaan, Master and Apprentice, and some non-Star Wars books, including her Evernight series and the Murder of Mr. Wickham series. She mm. is also most famously a future podcast guest of uh, Horror Nerds at Church. So we'll be having her mm. on the pod to talk about uh, this book and some other books in a future mini-sode. So stay tuned for that. I'm super excited for that. Me and then Rerin by Sabah Tahir, which is told from Rerin's perspective. Um, Sabah Tahir is one of my favorite authors. She is a mostly young adult author, and before that was a journalist. And she's written fantasy, so the most well-known and my favorite, one of my favorite book series is the Ember in the Ashes series. Um, and also some like related prequel I think they're graphic novel stuff, um, some realistic fiction. I just recently read All My Rage, which is set in a similar setting as where she grew up, which is that she grew up in California's Mojave Desert at her family's 18-room motel, devouring fantasy novels, raiding her brother's comic book stash, and playing guitar badly. Um, and so there's a little bit of overlap in the setting uh, for All My Rage, which is fantastic if you... I haven't read a book where people actually like have repercussions for their actions, but not in a therefore you are evil kind of way. Mm. Um, it's it's really fantastic. So yeah, and I just love her. Um, and this is her first Star Wars universe. Cool. Uh, then we're reading The Baptist by Andy Okorafor's perspective, and it's told from Omi's or written by Andy Okorafor, and it's told from. Omi's perspective, and with both Rear and Omi, we will reveal shortly who those characters are. Um, but Andy Okorafor is a sci-fi author who writes in the subgenre of Afrofuturism or African futurism, and has written dozens of books, including Binti, Zahara, The Windseeker, and The Book of the Phoenix, as well as written for some Black Panther comics for Marvel. And this is also her first Star Wars story. I read a different book. I pronounce her name in my head, Needy. Needy? Okorafor. Needy. Okay. Like a long end. Um, I, I read a book by her. her she's a Nigerian-American writer. I read Who Fears Death by her, which I think was mm. one of her um, initial novels. And I guess that's in the Bean Tea series which I didn't realize it was in a series. I think it probably shouldn't. But um, yeah, I read it way back in the day. Love the it. same year that I read this book the first time. So oh, cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've only read some of her Black Panther uh, arcs that she did for Marvel. So I have not read any of her fiction aside from this. But just judging from the story, fantastic uh, storyteller. She's wonderful. And then of MSE Six and Men by Glenn Weldon is told from MSE Six G thirty five Y's perspective, and we'll figure out which <laughs> uh, that is. But Glenn Weldon is a writer, cultural critic, and podcaster, and he wrote Superman: The Unauthorized Biography, The Caped Crusade, Batman, and the Rise of Nerd Culture, 
and this as his this short story is his first Star Wars universe. Awesome. I have read Superman, the unauthorized biography, and I did not know it was written oh. by Glenn Weldon. So now that's cool to make that connection. Yeah. He um, also, um, he works for NPR. So he writes for NPR in the, their. Oh, that's cool. Um, and then the last story we're covering out of these 40 stories is Wills by Tom Engelberger and is told from two Wills perspectives. And if you're a Star Wars nerd, you probably already know what Wills is. If you're not, we'll explain in a minute. But Tom Engelberger is a children's author who wrote a lot of Star Wars children's books, including the Origami Yoda series, mm-hmm. uh, which has my favorite uh, book title in any Star Wars related book, which is The Surprise Attack of Jabba the Puppet in that series. <laughs> Love it. But he also wrote the YA canon novelization of Return of the Jedi. A subtitle Beware the Power of the Dark Side, and the Chewbacca Middle Grade chapter book, The Mighty Chewbacca and the Forest of Fear, which is really fun if you want to um, dive into some middle grade, uh, or if you have any middle grade early readers who uh, would like that. It's a fun story. Nice. So, what is your memory of reading this book? Have you read it before this podcast, or do our podcast, our listeners need to take a shot? <laughs> I have read this before. So the first time that I read this book, I read it, um, I was doing, I believe, right when it came out, apparently, because I think it was when I was doing a reading challenge in Rushford, and that I did in 2017. So it would have been right when this came out, Um, but it was like 50 books in a year, but there were different like themes for them. So there was like, a book by somebody under the age of 30 and a book from your hometown and like those those sorts of random book challenge books and that's where I read um that's the first time I encountered Nadia Okorafor and and then read this book um I did reread it more recently which is to say this year um on audiobook it was spectacular mm-hmm. like sound effects different uh, different like uh, actors and stuff just doing it is fantastic so well gantoff so let me start that again my first time reading this was in 2022 2023 it was this year we were not this year earlier this year um and i first read it on audiobook i knew about it for a while and had been wanting to read it for a while but i just never got around to it until i started my star wars deep dive if you remember <laughs> me talking about this for like most of season five i was really Which is deep. ironic <laughs> we're deep diving into ghosts and paces all about star wars right it's because we plan and think ahead yep so I read read it for that the first time and I read the read it via audiobook and I loved it so much that I wanted to get a print copy as well. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things I like to do to support um authors or projects I like is oftentimes I will get it from the library first and that's how I got the audiobook was through my library using Libby. Mm-hmm. But then mm-hmm. I loved it so much that I was like, I'm gonna get a print copy. Um and the cool thing about this uh, purchasing this book is that any proceeds go to um, First Book, which is a nonprofit that 
serves children in needs and helps provide educational materials and learning materials and books and stuff to kids in need. So another cool thing about buying this book. Nice. So I will go into a little bit of behind the scenes here. Uh, It came out in October 2017 for the 40th anniversary of the film A New Hope. Um, It has 40 different stories by 43 authors because some co-author. Uh, and told the, told from the perspective of 40 different characters, most of whom are background characters. Uh, all of the authors have foregone being compensated for their writing. Um, as I said, the book's proceeds are being donated to First Book. Uh, mm-hmm. And Lucasfilm donated 100,000 children's books valued at about $1 million as well when the book came out. Which is awesome. Uh, then... Uh, as far as the canonicity of these books, this is kind of considered <laughs> canon adjacent. So it's not fully canon. However, it can be if you want it to be. It's a choose your own canon adventure. Um, <laughs> so because of the nature of this being written by 40 different authors, 40 different characters, some of the events mm-hmm. are a little contradictory um, in some of the stories from one to the other. And so... They just say, you know, accept that for what it is, uh, but otherwise you can consider it canon if you want it's to be. It's kind of like the Gospels. There's yeah. four different accounts of the Gospels. So in some of them, Jesus flips tables in the temple right before he's executed. And in, some, and in one of them, he does it right to start his ministry. Yeah. Yep. Just depends on if just you're depends. Them. Yep. So, I mean, that kind of goes into the title of this. is from a certain point of view that line of course comes from empire strikes back when obi-wan is talking to luke and luke says how come you didn't tell me that darth vader was my dad or that darth vader killed my dad when darth vader really is my dad and what's the truth and obi-wan says darth vader did kill your father from a certain point of view and that kind of is where that line comes from and also to the point of the Gospels, each one is written from a different perspective with different goals and um, ideals in mind that they're trying to communicate. Same with this. This Each one is written from a different perspective, a different point of view. Uh, so, for instance, the official canon of Lucasfilm, as much as people hate it, in the film A New Hope, Han Solo dodges a shot from Greedo and then shoots and kills Greedo. What? No. No, no, no. Han shot first. I am telling you what the official canon is if you were what to go What the digitally on, remastered BS what, if you're is? Going, is that I'm what telling you, you mean? I am telling you the official canon. If you go to any officially licensed version of A New Hope by Disney, that is what canonically happens. And that is what Disney's and Lucasfilm say is the canonical version. Now, listener, as you have heard from Emily's strong reaction to that, there's a lot of feelings about that. (laughs) And in this book, Han shot first in the story told from Greedo's perspective. So right off the bat, you have a canonical difference. So which one is actually canon? For Emily, it seems like Han shot first is actually canon. Okay. Um, I would just like to say... I don't think that whoever has the most money determines what is canon and what isn't. Um, For example, the Bible determined what is canon and what isn't by who has the most weaponry and power. 
Um, and also Luther was like, I don't know, you make up your own. And I'm a Lutheran, so we're going to go with that. And I'm going to say Honshot first is canon because that is actually what happened in the original movie. And it makes the story better. Agreed. The story is worse if he shoots second. It is this whole thing that happens, and Disney does it, and lots of places do it, where they want to make the characters we love, who are not explicitly villains, unimpeachable. That, like, they can't possibly be bad. When the reality is, Han shot first. He was covering his own ass, and the arc, I think Sojourners actually did, like, a whole article on this but the arc of him going from looking out for himself always first and foremost to coming back and helping luke is a beautiful arc of growth and if he's always been that kind of guy then it just doesn't hold the same weight agreed so as i was saying when i froze there's a lot of strong feelings about this. The Lucasfilm official mm-hmm. canon is different from most fans' canon. And the Lucasfilm official canon is the one that says Han shot first. But this book said, uh, this book says Han shot first, not Greedo. The novelization of A New Hope, that's a young adult novelization, which is officially canon, also has Han shooting first. So even if you accept that Lucasfilm is a determiner and arbitrator of official canon, here are at least two canonical versions that contradict the official film the official film version uh, sounds like lucas films became the john gospel and these are the synoptics could be That's could some be. internal churchy inside joke <laughs> could be could be and then the last thing i want to say is about the audiobook version as only said amazing uh mm-hmm. star wars audiobooks have always done really good job of producing high quality audiobooks getting really good narrators adding sound effects stuff so if like there's a space battle scene you'll hear like sounds of the blasters and the lasers mm-hmm. and all that stuff going off um and they or do like that for droids and electronics yeah. in the background yeah uh even chewbacca growling and stuff like that mm-hmm. so like they have they include that in the Star Wars audiobooks because Star Wars and Lucasfilm have a lot of money, so they can it, do that for audiobooks, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. But um, for the for this in particular, for all three, from a certain point of view, books, they each story is told from a different voice actor. Mm-hmm. So that way, you get some voice actors from the T- Star Wars cl- TV show, like Clone Wars. Um, mm-hmm. uh, for instance, uh, you get Ashley Eckstein, who voices Ahsoka in Clone Wars uh, mm-hmm. and in Star Wars Rebels, narrates one of these stories. And then you also get some famous people, you like Neil Patrick Harris and John Hamm narrated two of the stories in here. You get other people mm-hmm. like Jonathan Davis, January Lavoie, uh, Sas- Saskia Marlevald, Carol Mond- Monda, Daniel Jose Older. And Mark Thompson. Uh, Mark Thompson is a longtime Star Wars narrator uh, who's done a lot of audiobooks. So it's just really cool, great voice cast. Uh, definitely check out the audiobooks of these if you enjoy reading that way. Yeah. Yeah, I highly recommend the audiobooks. I mean, even like, I don't think my library has the audiobook for the next one because I think I looked, 
but I have requested that it get it <laughs> because yeah. even though I have the hard co- like the physical copy, I would love to read that alongside the audio because it's just that good. Yeah. Yeah. So when we get into right, so we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive into each story mm-hmm. uh, separately, and we're doing it in order of. The, how, they appear, the books, right? how they appear in the books, which also follows the order of how the characters appear chronologically in the film. So our first story is Ririn by Saba Tahir, told from Ririn's perspective. And we'll start with our one-sentence summary. Yeah. Uh, and we should also say who chose each story. We each oh, chose yeah. chose two stories. I ended up choosing three because there's one I thought would be fun to include. But anyway, that's beside the point. Who yeah. chose this I, story? <laughs> I chose this story. That's why I'm introducing it. Yay. <laughs> um, so what's your one sentence summary? So my one sentence summary of the story is a Tuscan raider making her own way from a culture that is not ready to grow with her is called to a small new thing. I love it. Mine is a Tuscan raider named Ririn says what we've all been thinking. That boy talk, talks too much. <laughs> In case you can't guess who she's saying that about, his name starts with an L and it rhymes with Ook Skywalker. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Also, I didn't name her because I thought you were going first, and so I had to. It's all good. Um. So this, I love Zavatir. Period. Um. But she does a lot of a lot of her writing. Um. Really, kind of roots itself in deserts which i think is beautiful um partly that's just like a cultural thing um and like obviously as i mentioned at the top she grew up in the um in the mojave desert of california but also um, culturally like comes from um so sabata here is pakistani american and so culturally her ancestry is Pakistan um, is also rooted in the desert. So Ember in the Ashes is like set in a vaguely deserty thing um, setting. And then Ririn is a Tuscan reader who lives in desert areas of Tatooine, um, which I love. Then there's like, yeah, there's stuff built in. So theological discussion. Deep yeah. Time. Yeah. I love that transition. Um, <laughs> I tried. New season still can't transition. I am wearing the shirt that says two NB to transition, which you can get from our which you can get from our Patreon. And if you're a Patreon, no. Which you can get from our merch store at bit.ly slash nerds at church merch. And if you're a Patreon supporter, you get a 10% off discount through mm-hmm. Patreon. That's true. It's true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so my first, and really the only, these are short stories, so it's not like we're going to go into a huge deep dive for each of them, except maybe the next one, because the next one is super fucking religious. But anyway, um, my big takeaway from this, though, is colonialism is kind of the theme, it, a lot of the conflict going on in Ririn's life among her tribe of Tuscan Raiders and stuff is brought on by mm-hmm. colonialism. Uh, specifically these moisture farmers thinking that they have, quote, more rights to the desert and its gifts, unquote, than the indigenous Tuscans. Uh, 
Jawas are also indigenous, we find out from this, but um, many Jawas have migrated off-world, whereas by and large the Tuscans remained on Tatooine. So any human is not native to Tatooine and yet still encroaching upon this space and how frequently that is a theme in our own real world and cultural relations and national relations and international relations, yeah. et cetera, I et think cetera. it's especially interesting that like the main role is as moisture farmers because in like Israel and Palestine, water rights in the midst of a desert and colonization and colonialism are a huge deal. And so like that, that fact that like in the desert, you're going to farm moisture. And I don't even know exactly what that means. Um, but it, it is like, a, oh, you, I mean, I grew up in Colorado and our water rights were reallocated to California because yeah. of complicated politics and shittiness. And so like, I know a little bit of what it means to not have the right to the water that falls to the earth. And so like this idea of like, oh, the humans get to be the moisture farmers and get to collect all of the water, which depletes the water sources for other people and the opportunities to have water at all and for plants to grow um all of that stuff is yes this is a story about here's my nerdy tidbit since emily you said you did not know what moisture farmers exactly are uh because of my deep passion in star wars universe i have (laughs) answers for a lot of these weird things um so in case the listeners are curious too Moisture farmers, how that works is there are a few spaceports on Tatooine, like Mos Eisley and stuff like that. Uh, but um, as we know, Tatooine is a very desert planet. So moisture farmers have these machines that gather water from the atmosphere and they sell the water to allow the cities to basically be able to function without importing all their water. Uh, so it, exactly feeding into what you're saying about like, they are taking this resource as part of the planet's atmosphere, take robbing it from that, which would affect the creatures on that planet who mm-hmm. also use that water in some way or another. Yeah. Yeah. When water is actually a finite resource, which is true, even though we have a lot of it on Earth, like it's still a finite resource, especially unsalinated water. And clean water. When, yeah. When you take it, you are depriving other people of it. And there's a certain amount that everybody needs water, Mm -hmm. but not everybody needs that much water. It's part Uh, of the, like, criticism of almonds and almond growing. Anyone that bottles water on this country, especially, like, Nestle, Mm -hmm. like, they are creating situations where fires are more rampant in California, um, but they're also depriving people of water, of clean water, Everywhere from like Flint, Michigan had it. Baltimore has water problems too for in terms of clo- uh, clean water. It's a whole thing. Um, so that's the big piece of it. <laughs> um, the other the other piece that I think is helpful to talk about in terms of the story that this story kind of gets at is the understanding of classism and like there is you can tell that Rerin, the writer, um, has some biases, right? And so, yes, there is the bias against humans, obviously. Um, But also there's, like, when she's talking about her own culture, there's a sense of, like, she has to justify and prove her existence um, because she's not a man. 
um but also this like there's it it hints at this like classism in um tuscan culture of like who is higher up and who is um lower up and what the expectations are which coincides with the sexism and the like placing her as a woman in a certain role and men in a, um yep and that's a good transition into the forced lure so for each of these stories we're also going to talk a little bit about what it teaches us about the force in particular and the star wars universe in general um, that we might not necessarily get from the movies or something like that. And so one of the things in here is exactly like you're saying about the classism in the Tuscan culture is just getting an insight that we don't really see in the movies into how the t- Tuscan culture works, uh, how men seem to fight, women seem to stay at home. And there's also a lot of references to honor and shame. So it seems that honor is a currency that's exchanged in this particular culture, uh, where like you need to endeavor to bring honor to your family and endeavor not to bring shame upon your family. And then also mm-hmm. I love this description of bantha bonds. So banthas are those giant, they kind of look like um, snuffleupagus <laughs> from <laughs> uh, Sesame Street. Mm-hmm. Those giant like wooly kind of mammoth like creatures that are seen in a few of the Star Wars movies. Uh, and so it says that uh, in Tuscan culture, that a Tuscan bonds with its bantha, and that it was even described as like being deep, similar to a marriage, like this very deep bond with your animal helper or counterpart. So I love that notion. Yeah, I really loved that connection that there is a clear dependency and coexistence and codependency, not in the codependency. Um, interdependency, shall we say, mm. um, between Banthas and, and also, um, I think that's where like the Kyber crystal. I think it's really interesting too. Um, but the that Raren finally understands the connection other Tuscans have to Banthas when she finds the Kyber crystal. Yeah, and that is like a particular and poignant thing for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. It's really described beautifully. And so I can see why Saba Tahir is one of your favorite authors. Now I need to read Embers, what is it? Embers in the Ashes, what it's called? An Ember in the Ashes. An Ember in the Ashes. It's a four-book series, and there's, like, the prequel things that I have not yet read, but I was just reminded of them when I was looking up information about <laughs> it, so now I'm going to go back and read I love it. Yeah, so, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh. To be clear, though, about the Kyber Crystal story, it's not explicitly named a Kyber Crystal yet. It's hinted at enough that if you know what Kyber Crystal is, you can guess that that's what they're talking about. Uh, because the crystal is said to be blue, green, sometimes purple, which are the three most common lightsaber colors in that order. Uh, and also how the crystal, she could sense it, she felt a connection with it all things are used to describe kyber crystals. Um, And so, but the fact that she could sense the kyber crystal could be a suggestion that Ririn is force sensitive. So had she not been a Tuscan, she may have be, uh, the Jedi are kind of specious a little bit, whereas some species like Tuscans could be force sensitive, just the Jedi do not include them in their ranks because they're not sentient enough or whatever. So I was wondering 
this because in Clone Wars, which I am watching the TV show right now in anticipation of recording a Bootube on it, just in case you need more incentive to join and become a Patreon supporter. <laughs> um, but the, um, the, that particular thing, like they, there's one arc in there where they have recorded, they have a record of every force sensitive being in the galaxy. Um, and so then to like say that Tuscans are not force sensitive or that like, right. Like, is it that Ririn is, is not actually force sensitive or is it that there's just like so much bias that like they yeah. only record the force sensitive creatures who speak basic galactic or like exactly that sort of thing. Because if, if she's force sensitive, they should have known about her and maybe they yeah. did know. And maybe like part of the backstory is they tried to come and take her and the Tuscans were like, hell no, you don't get to just steal our babies. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So. And there are also just some force sensitive people that fall be fall through the cracks as well. It's never been said explicitly in the Star Wars universe how the Jedi are able to collect who's Force-sensitive other than, mm-hmm. like, vague hints that it's some sort of the Jedi There's with, like... There's a hologram and a Jedi that yeah. are involved. Yeah. And the Jedi is somehow able to, like, psychically sense where in the universe a Force-sensitive person is and use that it makes me think a lot of like if you're familiar with the x-men how cerebro works like he just Mm -hmm. professor x just closes his eyes in this giant computer room and like it lights up all the people around the world and i think it's probably a similar thing they do with that like a hologram Mm -hmm. and a jedi just sits there and imagines we're in the universe i don't know but (laughs) i mean when they were trying to find the force when they were trying to find the four specific jedis or the four specific force sensitive kids they meditated on it there were like four different people who meditated on it but also like grogu was force sensitive but was not a jedi because he chose to be mandalorian he chose this the mandalorian that came that came after this story but i'm just saying those are part that's part of it right like they could have said no we don't want this child to become a jedi for sure could have been um, yeah, they probably would have. Talked. I also feel like they just are, since the I, I feel like I feel like the Jedi would probably not include Sand People, the Tuscan Raiders, in their counting of who could be a Jedi. Just oh, yeah, knowing for sure, Jedi for sure, they're speciest and like. So that's my most likely guess, um, but who knows? But also, she might not be force sensitive because we also know that. Uh, all creatures can access the force. And this is something that I cannot wait to talk about in Ahsoka because there's mm-hmm. an explicitly, the only part I'll say, because Emily doesn't like spoilers, the only thing I'll say is there's an explicitly non force sensitive person being trained the ways of a Jedi in the Ahsoka series. And so mm-hmm. it's true, all, all, the force is made of all beings. So all beings can act potentially access the force just jedi are born with the unique sensitivity that allows them to do so very easily um like there's a clear talent and skill set that 
Jedi are born with, but everybody uses the Force, and George Lucas has even said characters like Han Solo, who may not even believe in the Force, still access the Force when they're able to do, like we see on the screens, these very daring things flying through an asteroid field without running into something. It's because he's accessing the Force. He just doesn't explicitly know it. So... That seems like the you don't need underwear in space kind of argument. Well, could be, could be. But um, he's, but anyway, so kyber crystals, people who are not force sensitive still can tell when something, sometimes when things resonate with the force. So she might not be force sensitive. She could just be connecting to the kyber crystals resonance. But since the kyber crystal talks to her, Right. I, I feel like say, she's force sensitive. Yeah, I was gonna say the kyber crystal thing literally says you won't have to give it to give up the crystal. You will find a way when the time comes to get what you need. You've gotten this far, haven't you? Like there is clear like ray level of force sensitivity. Yeah. And I think it if we were to and I I don't hear you saying this, but like if we were to follow that path of like maybe she's not actually force sensitive, the force is just so strong, that to me would scream of like reinforcing sexism and speciesism. Yeah. In this universe, and I'm like, no, agreed. no, agreed. She is force sensitive, period. And I want to know. I want. I want Sabah to hear to write a whole story about her. Yeah. That's yeah, what I want. that'd be amazing. That would be um, fantastic. And we'll see from another character. In, in the stories we're covering, who is Force-sensitive, explicitly so. Like said in the story, this character is talking and communing with the Force. And yet, the character is not a Jedi because the character does not speak in language, in, in basic galactic, is not humanoid in shape and stuff, and yet clearly has a very strong connection. Yeah. So we'll get there. Yeah, but we'll first, talk more about that. <laughs> my favorite story in this book i'll just go ahead and spoil (laughs) that even though we're supposed to wait till the end to say that but master and apprentice by (laughs) claudia gray uh love the story i cannot wait so listeners you cannot miss our interview with her it's gonna be amazing i'm so excited that you actually got her to be on the podcast right right and we have a date that's even scheduled for it's happening i love it but Mm -hmm. um this story is told from qui-gon jinn's perspective and you might be thinking, wait, Qui-Gon Jinn died in the very first Star Wars movies, episode one. Uh, how can he be in the story? He's a force ghost. So that that's how it happens. <laughs> Magic of the so force. That's all you have to say. He's a force ghost. Of yeah. course. So I'll start with my one sentence summary for this, which is two old white guys, one dead and one soon to be, talk about philosophy. Basically, waiting for Godot or waiting for Luke. <laughs> um, mine is shorter than yours. For I once, I'm proud. Take a shot for that. That should be a new take a shot. <laughs> it's the second time. Thank you very much. Yes. Um, old white guys philosophize and reminisce. I love it. Love mm-hmm. it. So, basically... In the story, without revealing too much, uh, this takes place right as Luke runs away to find Aunt Beru and Uncle Luke to see if they survived after they saw the damage to the uh, sand crawler. And so Obi-Wan is left on his own with the droids burying the bodies of 
some of the Jawas, and he, in his worry for Luke's safety, calls out to Ob uh, to Qui Gon for some advice and encouragement. And Qui Gon appears uh, using Force Ghost powers, and that's what unfolds basically. So, I love the story for a lot of reasons, but the main reason is the theologian in me. Just mm -hmm. this story is so fucking theological, and it's like I can't wait to t ask Claudia about like what her um wh what's the word like for like what she what she was like thinking when she was writing this mm -hmm. um, and trying and what her sources of inspiration were because it's very theological. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things that they talk about is time. One of Emily's favorite things to talk about <laughs> too. Yes. So. Uh, in the story, it refers to time as an illusion, and, and at very least, linear time is an illusion, and that time is actually more like a circle. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think a lot of Native cultures actually understand time as a circle, and Gordon Straw um, was a Lutheran professor and pastor and talked about that a lot um, when he and I were on the board of extraordinary ministries together um and i think that's a helpful way of thinking about it that like it's a circle so it repeats itself and it returns um which helps explain like why when we have trauma it doesn't just go away but we come back to it and that's part of healing that like it can spiral this way but it's still like... but yeah. i wrote a paper in <laughs> seminary on kairos and chronos which are the two greek words used for time in the christian new testament um and chronos is the linear time chronological time if you will um and kairos is kairos is used to refer to like god's time the timing of god so like the hour has come the day has come the time has come um, and Kairos, the way that I think about it is that Kairos is this like big nebulous ball wibbly. of wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff to quote the 10th doctor. Um, mm -hmm. And then there are moments that we like the Greek word would be eschaton or plural eschata, um, where Kairos time breaks into linear chronos time so chronos time is checking along and then kairos time goes and interrupts and they create these moments of um these moments of like decision of dis of like tipping points right where things could go one way and things could go one of many ways and each one will shift radically the future or the way things are going. Um, and I love that understanding of Kairos and Kronos, that there is this other more nebulous understanding that interrupts Kronos time to bring us to a point where like, we have to make a decision where we have to decide on something. We have to take action on something. And if we don't, we potentially doom ourselves. Um, so I love that. I love Kronos and Kairos. I could talk about it forever. And I am so, so grateful that you were able to give an entire mini lecture on Kronos and Kairos without using the phrase inbreaking of the kingdom of, or kingdom <laughs> of God, because I fucking hate when people use that phrase. It makes no damn sense. Stop using it. So thank you for that. That was great. I mean, partly I think of God as more disruptive than inbreaking. 
right? Because we, we're too Lutheran and scared to even say breaking in because that would upset our white sensibilities. So we have to say in breaking. <laughs> so bizarre. Yeah. I'm all about disrupting I like things. So. Yep. I, I like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Did you have another one? one? Of the, yeah, one of the ones I like uh, and is you may be familiar with the quote by a UMEO listener. I know Emily is as a pastor, <laughs> but um, from first Corinthians chapter 13, where it's where Paul writes in the flowery, like more um, King James version. Uh, mm-hmm. Now I see, but through a glass darkly, I think NRSV translates it as now I see through a mirror dimly, which is why mm-hmm. I still use it. Now I see, but through a glass darkly, it sounds much cooler. Um, but Qui-Gon says in the story, it is strange to think of death as only the beginning of wisdom. And I just found that as a very Pauline kind of understanding. Not just Christian religion has this, a lot of Eastern traditions have too, but just this idea that we can only access so much of the divine in our human body and human consciousness. Mm-hmm. So when we die and pass into the great beyond, we have a much more fuller and deeper connection or understanding of the divine of the universe of the fourth um yeah i i really like it also in the sense of um a when i think of in it through a glass darkly i think of like there's a part of i we i've watched dungeons and drag queens a couple times now because (laughs) that fantastic from dimension 20 um but there's like the dirty bar glass, right? That that mm. like trope that happens in a variety of settings. And I think about it that way that like it's really just like you're using a dirty cloth to wash to wipe down the like glass and so it just stays dirty. Yeah. Um <laughs> versus like, oh, cleaning my glasses with proper glasses cleaners. It makes a huge difference. Um, but yeah, that there is this like space oh there's a whole other level and it's very lutheran right the hidden aspects of god okay. mm-hmm. uh something else i pulled from this that i just find fascinating and deeply theological like almost every single word of this is a sermon to itself i mean every sentence of this like is that mm-hmm. deep of a conversation which i like but um that qui-gon has this need for absolution even in his death and just how like theological that feels or the old notion of purgatory, whereas this idea that your soul would need to somehow shed itself of the sin before it could enter heaven. So it's like this waiting place where you are forced to kind of deal with the consequences of your action and deal with the hurt you caused and live through that and work through that before you can access heaven. And so I just find it interesting that even after death, Qui-Gon is still feeling guilty and asking Obi-Wan to forgive him from uh, for setting Obi-Wan up to be Anakin and the mm-hmm. eventual breaking of that relationship that happened in the original in the prequel trilogy and so and then obi-wan's guilt as well and then ultimately one of the things i like that obi-wan says is that yes some there were things wrong i did there are things wrong you did but it was anakin's it was ultimately anakin's choice and anakin chose this horrible fate for himself Mm -hmm. and for the universe and this destructive choice that was all that 
even with the ways in which the Jedi Order and Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon participated in some of that, it was Anakin who escalated that violence and turned it incredibly destructive and who's ultimately responsible for the choices he made, even if it was in this context that caused him to. So love that. Yeah, I I think that's something that like the people that I have encountered who like Al-Anon and other um 12-step programs for people who have loved ones who are in active or um, inactive addiction. Um, there's this, like, what is your res- your actual responsibility? That is to yourself. You are not actually responsible for the actions of others. Um, sometimes you contribute to them. Sometimes you exacerbate them. But you are not responsible for their actions. Um, really helpful. Also, I just realized, because... The first time I read this, both times I read this, I had not yet seen Clone Wars, the movie or the TV show. And now I'm watching through Clone Wars, the TV show. And now I know that Satine is going to die. Oops. <laughs> I just realized it because I like have the um, the Libby e-reader version up. And so yeah. I was like skimming through each story as we're like talking about it to make sure I'm like doing stuff. And then it was like every person Obi-Wan ever truly loved. Satine, Padme, and Qui-Gon himself came to a terrible end. Yep. Hmm. That is Sorry for that spoiler. I disappointing. Guess. I spoiled myself on that yeah. <laughs> one. Satine has not yet died where I'm at in the Clone Wars, but to come. And I'm very sad because I love that, like, there, I just finished the, like, first arc of Satine. Yeah. Or the second arc of Satine. I also feel like well, we'll talk about when we get to the Clone Wars, but, like, I just feel a little bit of, like, forcing a little bit of competing into the Clone Wars to deal with the fact that in the prequel trilogy, Obi-Wan and Anakin seem very, very gay for each other. So now let's magically <laughs> give Obi-Wan a love interest to doll uh, that fact. So just a little salty about that aspect of it. But anyway, yes, yeah, Satine is awesome. I mean, that's awesome. fair. Satine but, yeah. is awesome. Um... Something else, though, kind of with spoilers, in fact, is the notion of truth versus timing. Mm. When is it time to tell the whole truth? When is it time to not necessarily lie, but like not go fully into the detail of it and stuff like that? And that's something that Obi-Wan is feeling guilt about not telling the truth about Darth Vader to mm-hmm. Luke and just saying that Darth Vader killed Anakin um, without going into the full detail and Qui-Gon saying, no, you did the right thing. I personally disagree with that. I still don't think <laughs> it was the right thing. But there is the notion mm-hmm. of like, yes, there's an appropriate time and place to go into this. And maybe when somebody is in the midst of grief or something, uh, not uh, choosing to wait to tell them something. Uh, but I also feel like you need to give people agency and ownership of that. So like, say, I know you're upset right now, Luke. Do you want the full truth or do you just want me to tell you like the Cliff Notes version and right. give Luke the choice? Yeah, I think it's really shitty to like not tell Luke that, I mean, your dad is kind of dead, but also kind of the worst person. Right? Your dad basically killed a whole bunch of children in the last movie, so. <laughs> like literally slaughter of the holy innocents. Right? <laughs> I mean, admittedly, they were, like, going to be cops. 
Yeah. But that does not mean that you should kill children. Right. Because killing is, as we say on Nerds at Church and have merch that says, murder bad. Love it. Yep. Um, Then, if you'll just give me the indulgence, dear listener, of just reading two quick (laughs) passages from this. And if not, just fast forward. Yeah, just fast forward. But this is... (laughs) A description of a so I love this because it is we have seen force ghosts on the movies before and the some of the TV shows, but we have never actually like known what exactly happens after you die or how you become a force ghost. And so I love that we get a description of a force ghost materializing from being one. And mm-hmm. so just a quick quote from this. Awareness precedes consciousness. The warmth is luxuriated in and drawn upon before the mind is cognizant of doing so. Next comes the illusion of linear time. Only then does a sense of individuality arise. A remembrance of what was and what is, a knowledge of oneself as separate from the provides a vantage point for experiencing the physical world in its complexity and ecstasy. But the pain of that separation is endurable only because unity will come again and that fracture from the all, that memory of temporal existence, is most easily summed up with the word the fracture was once called by. He draws upon himself and takes shape, resembling the form he last had in life. It seems to him that he feels flesh wrap around bones, hair, and skin over flesh, over skin. So that is when Qui-Gon materializes to Obi-Wan. And from that, there's a few theological things just to pick out. One is the concept of union with the divine also called theosis it's a very mystical concept in many religions including um, mystical christianity and we take a deep dive into theosis or union with god in our uh sunshine episode with mm. we're thinking of his name now our special guest from the episode brandon grafius there we go um author of one of the books up here (laughs) lurking under Mm -hmm. the surface brandon grafius but so we go into a deep dive of what union with god looks like to a lot of the mystics and i just love this description of being united with the divine is such a blissful and ecstatic experience that even entering back into your own self is separating your consciousness is being separated from the divine in order to have its sense of individuality and how much of a rupture that is and the only thing that is able to ease the pain of separation is the knowledge that soon you'll be one with the divine just love that and it's a very romantic and sexual kind of image too as often is for the mystics as well and if you want to learn more about mysticism um, nerds at church actually did a deep dive into mysticism with carla with reverend carla christopher Ooh, I have yet to listen to that one. That one it's is one of the ones I'm trying want to catch up on. Yeah, it's it's from last season, I believe. Not a recent one, but it was a it was a fantastic one. We had an uncut version. One of these days, I have to get my doctoral advisor and Luther scholar, one of the the probably the leading Luther scholar in the country, at least. And one of them globally is Kiersey Sierna, and she is an expert on Christian mysticism. And mm. it, because of her approach to Luther is through the Finnish school of Lutheran thought, which is the Finnish school basically makes the argument that Luther was a mystic and his mm. understanding of grace includes union with God through the happy exchange. I talk about this in a Nerds at Church episode on Luther. I can't remember which one. So you can Probably listen the to that Reformation one. Day one. It's, I think it's the Reformation Day one. So I'll try you to make sure that's linked that. in the show notes. 
Um, but one day we'll have to have her on the podcast to talk about mysticism when we cover another movie that gets into you. There's a lot, so we'll get to it. Um, one more. Was, oh, go ahead, please. I was just going to say, like, in the realm of one of the initial places encounter Christian mysticism is in the desert parents. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes mm-hmm. they're called the desert fathers and mothers, but we on this podcast recognize that gender is not that simple. Um but the desert yes. parents are um, folks in particularly early Christianity who, in some capacity, like recognized a connection to God, a call from God, and went into the desert, um, kind of hermiting, right? Like going off on their own and became these mystics, these these spiritual guides. People would come to them with questions or with situations or like on pilgrimages, that sort of thing. There's a variety of different ways that it played out to be a desert parent, um, but I but I love the ways that this story in particular connects to that concept of like Obi Wan is feeling it because he's in the desert for twenty years, and his basically his only job is to make sure that Luke is alive, <laughs> um, and so he spends a lot of time meditating and a lot of time like really connecting to the force and all of that stuff. And then, and so like, that's one of the ways that it connects. Um, but also and, just like the mysticism of Qui-Gon and like all of And Obi-Wan in those 20 years also spends a lot of time rescuing Princess Leia as we find out from the Obi-Wan miniseries, which we're also covering for mm, this season. Which so. I haven't started watching it, but yeah. Uh, yes. But yeah, I agree with that 100%. Um, I, and Qui-Gon, even in the first film uh predit uh phantom menace uh was um, always kind of a mystic in how he talks about the force and just has this deep belief and trust in the force and especially like prophecy around the chosen one and stuff like that so um just love how qui-gon's a force mystic and kind of it's interesting that qui-gon died before the clone wars because i really wonder how Qui-Gon would have reacted in Clone Wars. He does not mm-hmm. seem to be the type that would see the Jedi involvement in the Clone Wars as a good thing. I mean, I don't, but yeah. we haven't <laughs> we haven't done our episodes on those yet. Yep. So. Yep. Um, and then the last thing I will say, which is uh, almost could be a quote from kind of Eastern religion, particularly Buddhism, um, which it, if you are mm-hmm. familiar with like the background of the force uh, uh, and the lore of the force and Jedi, it was very much um, created by George Lucas and others with inspiration from Eastern religion. So this quote that says the most beautiful form of mastery is the art of letting and just letting go from all that you're connected to, to really be present. In the, uh, mm-hmm. So love that quote as well. Um, guess we can go into some force lore here. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's mention of the wills. We'll talk about the wills in the last story, but I love it when the wills make a, con- uh, appearance. Um, and then I also love the description of how deserts and other places that humans call barren are full of for- the force and are full of life. And life, of course, is what creates the force and this fullness of life, even in places that humans do not recognize or do not see the benefit of or the useful mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I I always think whenever I think of like the barrenness of the desert, I think of suburban lawns. Suburban lawns have far less biodiversity, right? Because suburban lawns are all grass, maybe one tree, maybe two, um, and it limits bugs that can exist and the small creatures that can exist, as well as the vegetation that, yeah, like we give, the desert gets a bad rap, but actually it is this beautiful thing. I think we don't do enough to reframe it. Yeah. And that is why I keep my lawn unmowed and just let everything come in and live in it. That is the excuse I give for why we do it too. Yep. I mean, it's 95% excuse, but 5% it's in line with my values, so. Uh huh. Um, I love that Qui Gon, perhaps because he's a Force ghost, um, so has that connection to deep wisdom and knowledge beyond what human perception can. But Qui Gon recognizes C three PO and R two D two, even though Obi Wan does not seem to. Obi Wan, of course, had met them both at this point, as we see mm-hmm. in the prequel trilogy and Clone Wars. But Obi Wan does not recognize either of the droids. Um. At least as far as we can tell. How does he not? Well, yeah, the excuse weird. the excuse that is given is that droids are seen as computers. So would you recognize a computer you last came across 20 years ago as being the specific computer, even though it looks like every other computer from that age? Okay, fair. But of course, but that still. gets into our a criticism of how droids are treated in that universe as mm-hmm. these have full, distinct, developed personalities and... And maybe they're not alive. Maybe they are, but they seem to have consciousness of some sort. So, mm-hmm. like, even when their memories are droids, wiped, they still yeah. have like personality. So, yeah. are droids truly these lifeless computer beings, or are they characters in and of themselves? Um, we can talk about that more because it'll come up throughout this. Which is also fascinating coverage. because I read. I remember. Um, uh, biography-ish or autobiography by the person who played C-3PO. And it was oh, Anthony Daniels, because, yeah. Yeah, he definitely was, like, dismissed and not given the credit that he was due for playing C-3PO, and they frequently tried to, like, make it somebody else and change C-3PO, mm-hmm. and it, it was a whole thing, but yeah. Yep. Um, I think I have one more thing for the story, then we'll move into mm-hmm. a story about droids since uh, <laughs> um, but uh, one of the things that is brought up as Emily quoted in fact when they shared about Sabine uh, what's her name again? Satine? Satine. I was almost said Sabine which is the character from Rebels but close yeah, enough exactly. names. So Satine dies and so Qui-Gon just comments on how Obi-Wan remains resilient and steadfast in his belief and trust of the light side of the force uh, and never fell to the dark side after so much loss in his life. And Obi-Wan has been considered by fans and also creators of the Star Wars universe that he is one of, perhaps the, one of the greatest Jedi of all time. He's and, like the, the like most Jedi of the Jedi. Yeah. Um, Minus and, the being a general in the yeah, it's this really deep connection to ideals and trust in the Force. Mm-hmm. And that gets him in trouble sometimes, especially because he has drank a little bit of the cop Kool-Aid. 
So, Mm -hmm. and yet still just this reverence for the force in a way that will, like, I feel like him, similar to his master, would go against the Jedi Order if he truly felt the force was calling to. Next up is of MSE6, or as Pace has just now told me in uh, Mouse 6, And Men by Glenn Weldon, told from MSE. Um, My one-sentence summary is, a droid makes an accident into a sexual encounter. I love it. I love it. And mine is... What? Between people. Oh, between people. I realized that was not clear. (laughs) Yes. Um, my, my summary is mouse droids are the cutest and uh, <laughs> um, just for our Patreon supporters you're going to get access to a lot of the uncensored version of this because I do not know how to edit video in the way I can audio so I just cannot <laughs> wait for you to see all of this glory unfold oh, and no. how behind the scenes are typically for Pace and Emily <laughs> <laughs> I am so excited. I know how to edit it if we need to do script. <laughs> At least a little bit. But I'll do I'll do a little bit of editing, but it's not gonna be like okay. as clean or streamlined as I try to make the audio. Audio. That's fair. Um, so I picked this one. I guess we can say why we picked this one. Yeah. Right? Like I picked Saboteurs because I love Saboteurs and I was like, Yes, absolutely. There's no doubt in my mind. Um and then we were picking two or three. And so it's like, oh, I need to pick another one. What if I get a pick? Um, and I really like this one because I like the ones that are told from a droid's perspective. Mm-hmm. I like this one because it's gay. <laughs> um, and I think especially like with Disney stuff, like it just any time that we can make things queer, I'm, I'm here for it. Um, but it, it taps into this sense and we'll get into it in the theater but like it taps into this like sense. like it, it almost evokes um a lot of what i have read and watched that is connected to like particularly the 80s and like the way that gay culture was like literally illegal and so there was like the secret encounters and the like navigating difficulties and stuff mm-hmm. um because MSE6 is a mouse droid, and so it runs errands. But part of what I love is that um, the words and the commands matter. And because the droid is used to like receiving commands that are not specifically exactly worded, like I might like them of precise wording, it takes vague things and, and it makes them fit, right? And so with this, there's like turns of phrase and like things that we say that we don't mean literally, but get taken literally by this droid. And so um, that is what happens with TK, um, um, TK, ah, TK421, right? The, which is hmm. the, um, TK421 is the trooper who is responsible for MSE6 and who sends him all over the place and who makes it run errands for him. And so he, at one point, um, is like, just look at this. And he does. he's, like, engaging with the droid 
as if the droid were humanoid and like a person with sentience and all that stuff. And the droid is engaging with him like he's telling him commands. So the droid says, okay, engage hollow recorder. And so you get this like hollow recording of him like, look at this zit. Mm-hmm. And that is what gets played um to um to the grand moth, right? Yes. Yeah. Although it does not explicitly it say, say that but name. It but is. it's like security level alpha. Right? Yes. So it's like it gets played to him and he's like, Oh, well that's a cute twink. Um, yeah. <laughs> And I and I I just love the way it like gets into this particular space of gay subculture and like gay culture that I like, love it. Yeah, it's fantastic. And like so on brand for the Grand Moth, which we're gonna get to in the fourth fourth slur, but yes, right, yeah. But I so so I love that space that like this particular story opens up a space not only for the droid itself to like have a role even if half of it is in is erased uh from its memory but like to specifically like give the readers a peek into gay this this particular gay subculture this particular like moment in time even of secret encounters and complexities of power diamond dynamics because <laughs> Security level alpha and security level lambda are very different. Mm-hmm. And yet, and that and that's frequently like been part of gay culture. Um, and yet yeah. there is this like connection and this space between and beyond what is official, what is recorded, what is documented by the droid that like we get hints of. We we know what happened. We know they had sex, even though we don't know. Yeah. Which I love. Agreed. I love love it too. I, just such a cute story and so funny. And also mm-hmm. um, the aspect of there is a trait that is frequently coded as neurodivergent or autistic in characters where they take things literally. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of those things that a lot of neurodiverse folks myself included will feel seen in characters like this but also mm-hmm. recognizing that it can reinforce harmful stereotypes stereo tropes um but just love this like literal like a turn of phrase mm-hmm. i will take literally every single time mm-hmm. um i obviously do recognize turns of phrases but like it took me an entire life an adult Mm-hmm. And, like, having to learn and get past just, like, my base understanding of just, like, why would you say that unless you literally went away or something? Kind of. mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, just love that aspect. Uh, I think we can get into a little bit of force lore here. Mm-hmm. Or is there something more you wanted first? No. That, okay. was, that was, yeah. Droids matter. Cool. You know. Droids matter. Agreed. And that <laughs> is a good transition to... Uh, the force lore because C3PO and R2D2 were like did it on purpose. Right. Go, Emily, go. You're wearing the wrong shirt for that today. <laughs> That's true. I don't have one of those shirts. You do. Mm-hmm. I don't true. belong in one of those shirts, really. But uh, C3PO and R2D2 were George Lucas's bystanders. Um, and they were intentionally a trope of that 
Um, the entire original trilogy was, in a sense, told from their perspectives, and this kind of contained the prequel and sequel trilogy to some extent. Which I, like, never imagined, like, I never thought about until I read that when I was typing up my notes after you typed up your notes. And then I was like, it's true, because the beginning, they are searching for um, Luke and Obi, really Obi-Wan, and it's only them. Like, we don't see other yeah. people in that particular point. Uh, and so... Um, this is kind of a lovely way of showing the unassuming droid who witnesses big events, but keeping true to that kind of concept while also playing with it and having fun with it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, also love when droids have attitude, and <laughs> this droid is a very simple droid as far as the complexity of its programming. Mouse droids were only able to perform one basic, like, program. Um, programming mode it wasn't able to do complex tasks like r2d2 or c3po Mm -hmm. so i love that even with that level of programming the droid still has a very clear personality and Mm -hmm. and i just love that how that comes through and i guess that's credit to the author too for being able to like show that so well and just running Mm -hmm. the droid subroutines what the droid was thinking so um also Love the little gay story <laughs> of Imperials. I mean, also gross because they're Imperials and mm-hmm. Grand Moff is like committed genocide on an entire planet. But also, yeah. does it not track that Grand Moff is gay and would love Twinks? Like that is so on brand for him. So this yeah. is clearly Grand Moff Tarkin it is not explicitly said so, but the the author of the story has jokingly tweeted about it a few times and I will link this tweet in the show notes or whatever we're calling things that are written on X now, but um, this little tweet on X. We're still calling Twitter. them tweets. Okay. Um, we don't dead name people. <laughs> Corporations are not people. That's my theory. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, so, but anyway, People, a person had tweeted this gay c- couple's costume idea um, at the Not author. Not even gay, just couple's costume idea. Well, yeah, but for, um, and there's a picture of Grand Moff with TK, whatever the Stormtroopers code 421. is. TK421. 421. As like a couple, and the author says, this remains the perfectly valid, acceptable, wonderful costume idea about which I have no opinion. I mean, why would I? As a joke, because clearly he wrote the story that this is based off of. <laughs> so this this particularly pairing uh, is based off of. So yeah, I love it. I love that he's like, yeah, obviously. Mm-hmm. 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 There we go. Not uh. that I'm going to dress up as that costume idea. Partly because I don't have a, like, couple's costume idea that I need to come up with. Um, but also gay and doesn't quite fit. But And it's imperial. So, mm-hmm. yeah, thank you. But I love it. I love the way that it pushes it. Yep. Um, the next story, then, I guess we're ready to move on to. Or, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, the next I'm just one. over here eating my junior mints and talking and to you. I'm eating my uh, peanut butter chocolate. Rice Krispie Treat that I got from the coffee shop I was doing work at earlier today. So um, the next story is The Baptist, and I will let Emily pronounce their name because I am not able to with Emily's. The Baptist by Nnedi Okorafor, told from Omi's perspective. And 
Again, we're doing our best to pronounce things and names uh, because we've read them. Yes. And, and it's did... always grace for having read and not heard. Yes, for sure. And I will t- tell you, I've tried to do the research to get a YouTube or something of hearing some of these authors' names being pronounced, but sadly ran out of time and could not readily find one quickly. Mm-hmm. What happened? Yep. But my one sentence summary is one person's garbage is another person's baptizer. My one sentence summary is no person or creature is trash, except maybe. Fair. (laughs) (laughs) So this one, just for a little bit of context, because it's not readily apparent from the title alone, is that it is told from the perspective of the trash creature that appears in A New Hope, where they're in the trash compactor, and it grabs Luke's leg pulls him under the water a few times and you also see its eyeball poking out at one time so this -hmm. story is told entirely from that creature's perspective whose name is Mm -hmm. so one of the theological one of the things that stuck out to me was just the like way that omi is treated throughout by Mm -hmm. all of the humans including luke and leia and um but there's just such a like clear exploitation and devaluing of creation of anything that is not human. Um, and so Omi, they sneak up on her. They, like, capture her. They put her in this space thing and make her a trash compactor thing. Like, it's just such a... Yeah. And we don't even have a word. Like, I want to say dehumanizing, but she's not human, so... Mm-hmm. I would say objectifying as yeah. a word. Thank you. Yeah, it's just such an objectifying experience that she has it just sucks 100 percent, and also explains why omi is clearly force sensitive strongly force sensitive mm-hmm. and yet was not taken by the jedi order this might be because she was came into being after the class of the jedi order we don't know um how old she is but i mean clearly judging from uh, the Jedi Order we have observed in move on sh- in shows like the Clone Wars, mm-hmm. they do not. They probably would not accept into their rank. Um, I love the simplicity of understanding that it, the paradigm shift that Omi experiences is hap- um, how it's described, which is none of this is possible, but it is happening. Just as like this is changing my understanding of what is possible i don't know what it is what's happening but i can't deny that it's just happening and so i might not have the words to describe this experience or anything but it's still happening yeah i think that 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 was such a point space that i think it's harder for us to conceptualize now because we have so many experiences of like seeing something on tv or imagining things in fiction and, and yet there is this whole other world that seems inconceivable, and yet it is real. Um, I should say also why I chose this story, and this mm, is a good yeah. place to do it, which is I just love the beauty of the story. Like, it's written just so beautifully, um, mm-hmm. credits to the author, and also just I love Omi's perspective, just this very, as we're saying, kind of beautiful awe and wonder at the world even when these shitty things are happening and just like realizing through her eye uh 
the con- her connection to the force and learning about that connection. It was just really mm-hmm. beautiful, I thought. Yeah. I- um, another quote I love is, home will stay home, but you must go. That is something that the universe, or what she calls it, or what is revealed to be the force, is kind of communicates with her as she leaves her. Um, because there is a greater purpose she is being called to, we find out. And we can talk about that theology in a second because I have thoughts on that. But anyway, I, was say, I have thoughts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think. Um, I mean, it. It. I'm gonna make us talk about it now because I want. To. Okay, go for it. Please do. Um, but I think in in that like there are greater things she's being called to. It reminds me of um, the story of Joseph in Genesis, particularly like Genesis 50 is where it kind of culminates, and we just had that as a reading and on Nerds at Church, we talked about it with Rabbi Donya Ruttenberg and that was a like particularly experience because she had a great like interpretation of it. But um, that space of like, I don't think that like it is against my own theology to say that Omi um, had this experience, had this like harm and trauma done to her so that or because she being called to this greater thing i think out of that experience of having that harm done to her she was still never nevertheless called to this greater thing and i think that yeah. there is a difference there because it it places the responsibility and the like cause of the harm it's it's not that the force or in our world say god is causing the harm it is that in spite of the harm that is caused by particular people or particular spe- like characters or whatever nevertheless there is something good that comes something hopeful some greater thing yeah yeah and there's a beautiful quote that s- says this very well i think um uh and page 329 it says it was her choice despite the fact that it felt as if she'd made the choice while part of something greater and I really love that notion of making a choice within the circumstance. Um, so she was still making a choice, and yet it was kind of part of something greater. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the story also kind of goes more into that, like, we hear so much in pop Christian theology about um, when someone dies, for instance, you'll hear terms like... Uh, oh, it's all part of God's plan or when there's a natural disaster mm-hmm. or like a genocide even. It's like, it's all part of God's plan. It's just this really harmful view that creates of the God of God as making bad things happen or, or yeah. something like Which that. Is or cause purposefully killing people in order for something else to happen. And it's just not a type of God that I think is helpful in today's world yeah to i think think it's bullshit agreed 100 percent, just gross Mm -hmm. um so there's a little bit of that in here too about like the force kind of calling her through these into these specific harmful situations as part of a greater destiny so she can ultimately do it for some white kid like whose dad is the most evil person who ever lived like (laughs) right I don't like that aspect of the story, but (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, But anyway, her greater purpose though, apparently is to baptize Luke. Um, And so 
I like that it reframes what Luke and the other people around him interpret as an attack or something like that, as really this baptizing as part of this ritual um, and Mm -hmm. connecting Luke to his greater purpose and how she sees that there's a shade that sloughs off Luke in the moment of baptism. Uh, It's even called specifically a baptism. Um, And there's this quote where it says, for she'd been chosen to baptize him through a sort of death. To her people, water was where life was given. Water was the great cleanser when it was time to be cleansed. And this was also true for those who could not live in it. And so very intentional framing of baptism as a death, which is something that happens in many uh, Christian interpretations of baptism as a and water is a symbol of washing, of purity, of hydrating. Water is something that gives life. Yeah, I think there's is this, like, I don't know. I just love that it is told from, like, it is this story, and it is this, like, she is the one baptizing. She is the one taking action. Um, and I love that it's told from her perspective and that it, like, pushes against, even as it is within a story that clearly values humanity over and above any other creature of any sort of or non-sentience um and yet it values her like it is within that context and still she has a story and she has a life and she has a purpose and she has worth that is just because she exists even if the rest of the story doesn't allow space yeah agreed Mm -hmm. uh two other quick things and we'll get into the forest lore uh the species she is is not explicitly named, but they, but it is described as having a choice of gender. So there's they physically have no gender. They, um, but they get to choose a gender presentation. Most of her species were diangus, which is a term used to describe like some sort of non-binary uh, identity. And then women was the next most popular, and then men. And then there's also this man that Omi met who had trouble understanding consent. So there was a fight involved. And so maybe men are being trash is universal. I'm not just (laughs) humans. I don't know, but um, that I thought that was kind of a cool framing of gender. Uh, And then reincarnation, just the thought that Omi has as she dies when the death star explodes is who will I be the next time? Mm -hmm. Love that. Interest and excitement what comes next yeah also i really like that she recognizes leia's power yeah because yeah. nobody else does until much right later. right 100 percent mm-hmm. um and to that point uh for the force lore force as an electric feeling one force sensitive being has in another and so she describes like her connection with luke when she touches him to be this like exchanging of electricity kind of thing and also recognizing mm-hmm. like emily said the power and brilliance of leia as well and then just the <laughs> uselessness upon i guess <laughs> <laughs> how he's just described as oh another human there's the human that has fur as a protection there's the smart human and who's brilliant and a great leader and then there's the force sensitive electric dude and then there's just han i love it <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> um, also, I love that she learns to use the force. And I love how the story specifically says 
that either she was taught by the force itself or she found the knowledge came from deep within. And so either way, you're framing that, whether she is capable of like communicating with the force directly or there's a deep connection in her um, that she just is able to tap in inner sort of knowledge. Love it. Um, I like it. I, I just love the connection to baptism. And she literally even says water was where life right like and i the connection to and this was i think written before that gained a lot of traction in dominant media circles but like the water is life movement yeah that water is like this integral thing even in in the force and in force creature anything else for that one do you have other force stuff i thought you just did the first i um, I talked about her using the force by herself. Yeah, I did that one. Oh, okay. And then I we had already talked about the fate destiny. Yeah. There we go. It's I okay. got distracted because uh, I was like <laughs> caught in that. But I do like this. I think there's an interesting space in Star Wars lore where the force has to be taught to some. And we have talked about it a bit. And I imagine we will talk about it more in like Clone Wars and in the star wars trilogies and stuff when luke comes up but that space of but that's that space of like the luke has to be taught how to use the force and so many different like humans and humanoid creatures have to be taught to use the force and then she learns to use the force because she is force sensitive um and like pendu in the rebels series learns to use the force and the force like has a different approach to the force that is much more balanced. Um, so it's basically like anybody who's not a basic speaker, who doesn't actually get recruited by the Jedi's or captured by the Jedi's to become child soldiers. <laughs> it's so bad when you put it that way, because but it's so true. <laughs> You're mm-hmm. not wrong. Um, but like anybody else, still learns to use the force. Grogu learns to use the force. Omi mm-hmm. learns to use the force. It's almost like they don't need the Jedis, a.k.a. police and military, to create child soldiers to learn to use the Force. I'm just saying. 100%. Okay. Next story, then? Yeah. Is our last story. Yeah. Wills by Tom Engelberger, told from the Wills perspective, at least two of them. Mm -hmm. And Wills, if you have no idea what they are, are mentioned a few times in the Star Wars universe, but a little bit of behind-the-scenes creation of Star Wars lore is George Lucas had originally imagined the story to be from the Journal of the Wills, is how the first Star Wars would have been framed. And so basically mm-hmm. this concept of your what you're reading happened in the, is uncovered and being shared with you for having been written a long time ago in a galaxy far, far, far away by these mysterious beings called the Wills who keep a chronicle of the galaxies. Mm-hmm. Um, that was like the behind the scenes concept that he had in early drafts. And then it just never was used except in the original novelization of Star Wars. But then with Disney's uh, ownership of Lucasfilm and the renewal of the trilogy, Wills have been kind of officially brought into canon with you have in star wars rogue one you have the keepers of the wills or the guardians of the wills the two men from jeddah 
mm-hmm. um, who were guardians of the temple of the wills. And then you also have in the novelization of the Force Awakens, I think, one of the sequel trilogies, um, It's there's a quote from the Journal of the Wills that is in the novel and stuff. So mm. it's basically now canon that there are some creatures called the Wills who wrote the chronicle of the events that Star Wars is based off in the fictional framework. So all of that is background for mm. Good to know. this story. Which you chose. Which, which I chose. And I chose because I think it's just funny. It is. <laughs> um, it is. And I love it. I love the kind of meta commentary happening and also just the uh, kind of tongue in cheek references to Star Wars. Yeah. So I anyway. I like that it like trolls itself. Yeah. Right? It's trolling it. exactly. Star Wars itself. Uh, exactly. And just that humor that Tom Engelberger has. So we didn't do our one sentence summary yet, correct? We need to do that. So. I have two wills argue over how to write the opening scrawl of Star Wars A New Hope. And I have two heads are arguably better than one at arguing. Love it. Also take a shot. Emily's is shorter than mine. Again, we're finding that Emily writes shorter ones for Star Wars, I think. I like it. Also, I wrote mine after you wrote yours. So the first one that was longer than yours, I was like, I just have to do it longer. Not a shorter (laughs) one, but I was like... Feels like cheating because I know how long. So next time I'm going to <laughs> write them before you, hopefully. Okay, you do you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do love it, and like the the side by side, right? Like it has yeah. the bold. Um, a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, it is a period of civil war, and then the not bold. A period? Wow, you really like to keep things vague, don't you? Yeah, yeah. We don't have a lot of theological discussion, yeah. Um, but it did remind me of like the gospels that are. There are multiple gospels written. We have four that are mm-hmm. considered canon in various denominations, but there are many more than that that were written. And so that like valuing of multiple perspectives. And so I love the way that this back and forth happens. Of like, how vague are you going to be, really? You want to be that vague? Yep. That's all you want to be is vague, vague, vague. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're going to leave out Padme and Anakin completely? All right. You do you. Yeah. I love it. And I mean, it's just so chock full of jokes. So I feel like this, if you kind of, as you're saying, Emily, like how it trolls itself, like it basically is quoting the opening scrawl of the A New Hope. And it's just like direct quoting is what one of the wills is doing and then the other will is like why are you wording it that way that does not make any sense that's very mm-hmm. vague or why aren't you why are you why not including you these people darth maul or captain Rex, right ahsoka ventress cad Payne, savage opress char jar the mandalorians right which exactly. now i know who all of them are i love it so i just love that um that it's kind of like jokingly saying obviously this expanding universe hadn't been invented yet mm-hmm. and, and also saying like why are you talking about um some of these characters in these ways it makes no sense or like talking about the teddy bears which are really ewoks and having a little spat about that just really fun things um and like why are you including c3po and r2d2 and then and not k2so uh, yeah. yeah, and then the other wheels like because C three PO is important when it comes to the Ewoks, and it's like, 
just like so silly. It's really important on it. Endor. Endor. Wait yeah. a minute. You're not putting the teddy bears, are you? Exactly. I love the teddy so, bears. <laughs> right. So love the you humor. And um the and and uh, I also love the reference to how this will who is not getting his way and who's like arguing with the one that is officially writing the canon basically says I'm gonna go off and write about Chewbacca how Chewbacca's family celebrates Life Day, which is a reference to um the Star Wars holiday special, which we're going to cover mm-hmm. for Christmas if the WGA strike is over by then. If not, we'll cover it some other time. But um so just jokingly saying that obviously Star Wars holiday special was awful. It's not canon. It's kind of been erased from existence because it really is that bad. A lot of people are like, oh, I want to see all of Star Wars. It's not fair that they are keeping that secret. But then you watch it and you're like, why did I just sit through this two hour <laughs> thing? It is the worst. It, I'm so glad that it's been erased from the Star Wars universe I level of bad. Wait. So, yes. So I love that the Will who's not getting his way is like, I'm going to go write the Star Wars holiday special. And just like, great. <laughs> so we see your attempt. So, and I will say very minor spoiler for the next two from a certain point of view books is there is a similar story written from Will's perspective, also by Tom Engelberger in each book as a way of ending the book as jokingly talking about the opening scrawl. So we get it for each book and each one is just as funny as this first one. That's awesome. I love it. I'm excited. Yeah. That's, that's why one of the reasons why I was like, we need to include this because it's one of the things that links each book and it's a fun, Mm -hmm. just a fun thing to talk about. Okay. Well, Anything else on that story? No. I was I just love the like what gets left it what gets kept and what gets left out and how the big plays out. Yep. Well, out of ten Kyber crystals, what would you rate this book? And do you have a favorite story? Even if it's not one we've covered. Yeah. Um it's been a while now. You go first. Okay. I will rate this nine out of ten kyber crystals it is so good it is so fun i will say the only reason it's not a 10 is some stories are better than others most like all of them are good and worth the read but some are just a little bit not as fun or as good as some of the others like there's one story i won't say which one because i don't want to be mean to any author mm-hmm. but it gets into like really kind of a sexist trope of one of the characters that she only lived to do something and it's just like not a fan of that story but um my favorite story is master and apprentice hands down on the story by claudia gray and then Mm -hmm. i think a close second would be rearin i really enjoyed that one and out of the ones we didn't cover i think palpatine is a fun one just because Mm -hmm. it's written in elizabethan english um, by the guy who wrote the Shakespearean adaptations of the Star Wars mm. um, movies. So just a fun kind of approach to that story. And of course, Palpatine would be the one with the Shakespearean soliloquy of, of all course. characters. Yeah. Okay. What about you? Um. Okay. I think I would rate this probably an eight and a half. Um, okay. Eight and a half. 
Um, I think I would rate this an eight and a half. I really loved it. I have like good memories of it. And I loved the audiobook, particularly after having read the physical copy. Um, and I, um, I really, and, and I, I just, I was so blown away by it because I came across it by accident. And so like, I, I haven't read any other Star Wars books or anything. Um, and so it just was like this delightful surprise. Um, and I, it's so hard to choose a favorite. Um, cause I do love the, I love the ones that I picked. I love, um, Rearin. I really like, I, I, I like the theology of the, um, Master and Apprentice, but I don't like, I don't like Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan that much. And so I'm less inclined mm-hmm. towards them, but I love like, yeah, I love the stories about the droids and like the, the even more side characters. Um, so I think that's part yeah. of why I like Ririn and like, I'm, I'm a, of MSC six and men. Um, one, but if I were to pick the one, from, one oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, if I were to pick one from not that we didn't cover, I actually was looking at like sparks or the ones that like the incident an incident report by Mallory Ortberg. Oh, that was fun. Right. Where it's just like the paperwork and, and where you get a deep dive in the paperwork and then how that plays out and like that it has a bigger impact than we think it does. Um, Mm -hmm. So, and also it's a fun kind of tongue in cheek way to like explain away what some people may have called plot holes or stuff that Mm -hmm. didn't make sense in the original thing it's like oh now we see how that happened it's because she filed taught someone to file specific paperwork to cover their mistakes about not shooting down the um escape pod with the droids and the like the dynamics of how the rules impact like that they're more likely to have things get taken away when you have like certain rules about like how you get promotions and how you get that sort of thing. And it doesn't have to do with skill. It just has to do with like numbers and when the numbers don't have con. Yeah. The one with R4D4, the droid that that malfunctioned purposefully was fun. I like that one too. And that droid has appeared in the Mandalorian series. So that's also a, fun cameo for that droid house stories anyway i guess our next book well first i think if you are dear listeners and watchers now um have particular no guarantees but if you have Mm -hmm. particular short like particular of the short stories in the empire strikes back from a certain point of view that you really want us to talk about, let us know. Ooh, yeah. Email yeah. us at hornerdsatchurch at gmail.com or tag us or message us on the socials um, and let us yeah. know because we haven't figured out what stories we're watching for them and I'm about to start reading them. So I haven't even started reading because I didn't want to start until we had already, until we yeah. recorded this. But um, let us know because we, mm-hmm. we might just cover them. We might, we might. So um, our next book then is a mini-sode with Claudia Gray. I'm really excited for that. Uh, We're not just talk about her story in this, but some of her other stories. She wrote a novel about Princess Leia. She wrote um, 
a novel about Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon and a few other novels. So it'll be fun to dive into that. And some vampire stories to throw back to season three. And um, then also... Also, like, uh, how exciting that we have an author of a Star Wars thing right. on. So exciting. Right, right. And then we also have Remains to be Told, uh, which is a short story anthology with a variety of authors from New Zealand. And so that will so that will be coming out in early October, most likely. Yeah, and that'll be an episode that we record with several authors of the who yeah. contributed to the anthology. And so, the and the editor. And right? the, the editor, yeah. Who's been on the podcast before for Attack from the Eighties episode. Yes, Lee Murray. Right? Yep, Lee Murray. So it's exciting to have Lee back and to be having authors come and talk about their fiction books. Anyway, um, yeah. So that is it for our show. Our theme music was by Matt May. Horror Nerds at Church releases every Thursday-ish when we're in season. It's complicated right mm-hmm. now. You get the drift. Yep. Please comment, rate, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Support us on Patreon and get access to exclusive movie commentary episodes, YouTube episodes, and more bonus content, including the video for this very episode, by going to patreon.com slash Church. Plus, you get discounts on our merch store. It's only, it starts at $5 to sign up, which is way, way cheaper than any sort of um, making up for missed incident reports on the Death Star. Yeah, love it. He's like, I don't know which one to do. I'm going to do that one. I did not think that one up ahead of time like I usually do. Follow us on social media, Facebook and Instagram at Horror Nerds at Church and Twitter at and Twitter and Blue Sky at H-N-A-C-P-O-D for all the latest updates about upcoming films, news, books and other announcements. Until next time, may the force be with you. I love it.